original sin, if kind of Eve and Adam, if their original sin had a lot to do with wanting to be God, to wanting to, to want to be like God, to be able to kind of have all the knowledge and power that he had, that's always the root of sin. It's our, our desire to kind of con- conceive of ourselves as God-like. But um, our limitations as, as humans, sleep being a big one, and, and our physical limitations remind us that we aren't God and we can't, we aren't omnipresent. We aren't omniscient. <laughs> we aren't omnipotent. And that's a good thing, right? It's, it is wisdom to be reminded that you are the creature and God is the creator. It is wisdom to be reminded that you are in your rightful place and God is who he is, right? Um, and so the more that we can be reminded of that through rest and stillness and not feeling like we always have to be on, uh, the more the wiser will become. If all of the content that you consumed was on a pyramid, like the food pyramid, with social media and your phone being at the top where sugar and grease and things like that used to be on the old school food pyramid, and the Bible is down at the bottom where I think like bread and stuff used to be uh, on the old school food pyramid and everything else in between church, nature, books. Um, how, how much of the good stuff are you taking in and how much of your diet, so to speak, is the stuff that you're supposed to have rarely, if ever. Brett McCracken, uh, one of the editors at the gospel coalition, a prolific writer, uh, wrote a book called the wisdom pyramid through Crossway, and it is a phenomenal read, and it was an honor to have him on the show this week to talk about what we are taking in and how we are seeing it affect our life. So to speak, when it comes to our content that we're consuming and our spiritual life, we are, in fact, what we eat. So I'm excited for you to hear that conversation. Brett is a phenomenally interesting guy, a brilliant guy. He's a um, essentially a writer and observer when it comes to the Christian worldview in regards to pop culture, a uh, few people like him in the world today. So go to the show notes, check out uh, some articles that he's written with gospel coalition, uh, check out the book, of course. Um, but as excited as I am for you to listen to this particular episode, I want to invite you to check out the back catalog of the all things, all people podcast. Um, I feel like we're on a heck of a roll with our guests. We've had some amazing guests in the last few months. And not only do I want to invite you to check out that backlog, I want to invite you to help us celebrate this by giving all things, all people, the opportunity to receive unbelievably an award. All things, all people podcast has the opportunity to be nominated for the people's choice podcast awards. And if you want to help us win this award, which would certainly be a feather in our cap for the first year of the all things, all people podcast, go to the show notes and click nominate or go to the all things dot all people, Instagram, which of course is at all things dot all people and go to the bio in the Instagram uh, and fill out a nomination. It would be so cool to be nominated for that award and to give the listeners, the all things, all people podcast, uh, the opportunity to help us get recognized in that way. So go check it out. 
Um, and, you know, also go check out the All Things All People website, the World Religions page. I've been talking about the last few weeks. I get asked about world religions more than almost anything on, on social media and through email. Um, and uh, World Religions Basics page is a great place to start if you don't know very much about Islam, Hinduism, Judaism, even Christianity. Maybe you're listening and you're new to Christianity, um, you're not a Christian. Uh, and you kind of always say, well, what is it that Christians really believe? Go check out the Christianity page on the uh, website, allthingsallpeople.org slash religions. Um, and we're going to be constantly adding new religions to that. So go check that out. Um, but yeah, all things, all people exist to raise up generations of Christian thinkers to understand and reach the world around them with the transformative message of the gospel. And it's that gospel that Brett McCracken wrote about in the Wisdom Pyramid. And it's that gospel that he thinks we should be basing our life on. And I'm excited for you to hear about this pyramid that he designed. And so go check out the book. But first, listen to this interview with our Christian thinker for this week, Brett McCracken. Let's do it. My next guest is a senior editor and the director of communications for the Gospel Coalition. He is the author of Uncomfortable, The Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community, Hipster Christianity, When Church and Cool Collide, Gray Matters, Navigating the Space Between Legalism and Liberty, and the book that he and I have the opportunity to discuss today, The Wisdom Pyramid, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World. He has written for The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, The Huffington Post, CNN, Christianity Today, and many other impressive publications. He is a graduate of Wheaton College in UCLA and lives in Santa Ana, California, where he is right now. We have the opportunity to virtually meet and have the honor of being on the show today, Mr. Brett McCracken. Brett, thank you so much for virtually being here. Oh, thanks so much, Jeremy. Great to be with you. Yeah. Um, I was just, we, you know, we had the opportunity to, to speak pre-show and um, now listeners getting the opportunity to hear this discussion about not just the wisdom pyramid, which I have right next to me, a phenomenal book that Crossway put out this earlier this year. Um, but really what I love about you and the way that you work, if, if people aren't familiar, um, go to the show notes and uh, you have articles through gospel coalition where obviously uh, you work um, just mm-hmm. today. Actually, I saw a post about you writing on the recent Disney movie, Cruella. Um, what, what is it about yeah. pop culture and your love of movies and, and cinema and things like that, that mm-hmm. you think uh, has led you now to writing in the Christian world in a way that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I could never write. I, you know, I don't have an eye for pop culture and things like that, but you have a really unique gifting. What led you to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's just my unique kind of combination of life experience and interests. So the way I often put it is like, kind of the two big passions of my life pretty much since I was a kid have been the church. I was raised in the church. I have always loved the church. Um, And then like movies and and culture and pop culture ever since Mm -hmm. I can remember, I loved going to movies and, um, and I loved just the arts generally. And so, but as you know, in, in, in certain kind of Christian traditions, those two, don't seem to integrate much. And in fact, there can be a little bit of a hostile relationship between the arts and culture and faith. And so growing up, I didn't often feel like those two worlds had much to say to each other. And sometimes I felt a little bit 
guilty or like I shouldn't be watching movies if I'm a faithful Christian or um, that they had to be kind of two different tracks. Um, so ever since really Wheaton College, my undergrad experience at Wheaton, uh, that really gave me a framework and kind of models for how to integrate the two worlds and how, to, how they actually can serve each other well and help, uh, you know, bring enlighten enlightenment through um, conversation, right, yeah. between, between Christ and culture. And uh, so I've kind of made it my life's mission ever since then to to live and write and explore in that intersectional space between the culture and faith and to do it in a way where, um, you know, it's mutually beneficial. So artists and culture makers can see theological themes that they might not even recognize themselves that I can help draw out and help Christians, you know, translate pop culture in ways that are, are constructive and that go, go deeper than just like counting curse words um, and, and kind of looking at the, the ideas and the worldviews and, uh, you know, what, what pop culture is surfacing. Um, I, think, I think if you look around us at the music and the art and the movies, like it's all really revelatory. It, it reveals a lot about kind of the pulse of our culture, what we love, where our, um, you know, what we believe in, um, our ideals. And it's not always a pretty picture, of course. And so there's a lot that as Christians, we have to be critical of and, and have that kind of critical distance from. Um, but, but there's also goodness to be found and truth mm-hmm. to be found. So anyway, that's a long answer no, to say this is, this is how I got to, to where I yeah. am and what I write about. So you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, your time at Wheaton and how that was formative in, you know, what you do now. And I mentioned to you, like, right before we press record, I grew up in Wheaton and I went to a Christian college. Um, I think some people might be surprised to hear you say that your time at an evangelical Christian college gave you a passion and an ability to stand between the gap of pop culture and Christ. What was it about your time at Wheaton specifically that you know, like you use the word enlightened, like enlightened you to the fact that Christians can and should be participating in pop culture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it was really just um, prior to that experience in my life. I didn't have a lot of models uh, of people who were like robust thinkers who Mm -hmm. really valued the life of the mind, who really valued excellence in beauty in the arts, but also had a really solid, you know, orthodox evangelical faith um so so much of how we're formed in life is seeing it seeing things modeled right Mm -hmm. you can read all the books but uh if you if you have a professor or a person or a mentor in your life who models something that's going to impress upon you and mold you and shape you and so that was my experience i had a few professors who who just really gave me a vision for what um what it could look like to be Mm -hmm. a serious thinker a serious kind of cultural critic, um, but also seriously devoted to Christ and his church. And, yeah. um, and, and also like, I, I'll say that um, Wheaton has a, uh, a research center called the Wade Center, which is yeah. like focused around C.S. Lewis. And yeah. I actually worked there as a student. Uh, it was kind of my student job when I was at Wheaton. Mm-hmm. And that experience of just becoming even more familiar with C.S. Lewis and his writings and his life, um, he really has been kind of a central model yeah. for me in terms of someone of like 
major intellectual like caliber mm-hmm. um who was also like deeply interested in art and faith and yeah. culture and and I mean, it was a great cultural apologist you know he mm-hmm. he could he does what kind of tim keller does today right he kind of can make these connections by looking around at mm-hmm. what's happening in the culture and uh, so he's kind of been a model for me and it, it, it was just a fortunate thing yeah. that while i was at wheaton i got to do kind yeah. of a deep dive into into lewis and tolkien and and the other inklings yeah yeah the wade center i think it has even some of the first editions and maybe even some originals there um it's really if if somebody's listening and they're in the midwest or visiting in that area i think they can go in and sit down like it's a library it's phenomenal you had to have studied then under jerry root i'd imagine Mm -hmm. at some point yeah yeah i actually um i never had a class from jerry but i got to know him after wheaton a little bit Mm. um in a few different occasions, I actually worked for the C.S. Lewis Foundation yeah. um, after I graduated, and they're an organization based in Southern California that actually they actually own um, the Kilns, C.S. Lewis's house in Oxford. So I got to spend some time yeah. um, at the Kilns, living there at, at Lewis's house in Oxford, which was an amazing experience. <laughs> I wrote the first my first book, part of my first book. I wrote it at C.S. Lewis's house in Oxford while I was staying there. So. Yeah, um, not to make any anyone jealous out there who's a writer or, <laughs> or a yeah. Lewis fan. But. Yeah, well, that would have only made it worse if like you had this just unbeatable writer's block sitting in C.S. Lewis's house. So I know, I'm right? Glad, if you can't that, get a writer's well. block yeah. at C.S. Lewis's house, then there's no hope. Yeah, well, that that's awesome, and and so it's so cool to hear about those experiences, and it's for me even it's encouraging to hear that it happened where I grew up and in a situation. Um. So, you know, like this book, The Wisdom Pyramid, I feel like you and in your work through Gospel Coalition and the other books you've written, I think, serve a purpose in 21st century American evangelicalism where you are helping a generation figure out, mm-hmm. hey, you don't have to give into these polarized views where you're either, um, you know, only participating in pop culture if X amount of curse words are not entered or you know or a a laissez-faire like you don't really care and i see wisdom i mean no no pun intended for the coming title of the book but (laughs) you know i see wisdom and how you're you're navigating this and in the in the book and in promotion of the book i heard you say um about the time that we're living in which prompted you to write this book that we live in an age of information but not an age of wisdom yeah Um, what you know, what kind of things come to your mind when you're explaining people why you wrote this book and you say something like that, what is it about this world that you and I are living and ministering in where we do have a tremendous amount of information, but you saw a lack of wisdom that led you to write the wisdom pyramid? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I think that there's certain dynamics of the technological age we live in the information age where, um, even though in theory we have more we have more intellectual access than in any pri- prior generation of humans like literally yeah. on your smartphone you you can ha- you can access pretty much anything that's ever been written mm-hmm. by anyone in history and um, it's you have like the world's most powerful library card in Google right mm-hmm. um, and and yet in spite of that unprecedented access to in- information I don't think it translates to wisdom and in fact so the first part of the book i i go through three kind of dynamics of information that i think actually work against wisdom and undermine wisdom 
Um, and there's the too much information problem of just the sheer glut of information today is not actually helpful because there's too much. We don't know where to start. We don't know how to vet, you know, we don't know how to um, sift through it all. And, and so there is such thing as, you know, too much information um, that's counterproductive for, mm -hmm. for, the, for the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. And then there's the speed of information today that undermines wisdom. Um, wisdom at its heart is a slow, it's a necessarily slow burn, right? You, it comes about through patience and through wrestling with ideas at a deep level um, and reflecting. And, and all of that um, takes time that we don't have in, in this frenetic pace that we live in, mm -hmm. where we go from thing to thing to thing, you know, all day, every day, we're just scrolling and swiping and, and watching 30 seconds of this clip and yeah. reading, you know, skim reading a few paragraphs of this article. And um, so we're kind of going a mile wide an inch deep and mm -hmm. we're going too fast and it's just not conducive to wisdom. Yeah. And then the third major factor that I see in the information age is that it, the orientation of information is, is too much around me. Um, and, and, and I, as an individual, am not the best judge of what is true and, and that that goes beyond technology that's a a human fallen human problem that goes back to the garden of eden when adam and eve chose to kind of go with their gut rather than what god said they chose to look within themselves to determine truth and that's been the problem for humans ever since is this kind of look within yourself epistemology mm -hmm. um, but technology has has made it worse because now there's this whole kind of infrastructure layer of algorithms that that literally like custom fit information and, and tailor reality to you mm -hmm. as an yeah. individual and so the more you click on this sort of thing the more the algorithms feed you more of that mm -hmm. and uh over time it just creates this world where we literally are experiencing reality in a way that is totally different than our neighbor is experiencing reality. Like mm -hmm. there, there's billions of little bubbles and echo chambers of feeds that are, that no, no two of them are exactly the same. And so uh, I think that just leads to <laughs> epistemological chaos yeah. that there's no consensus anymore. There's no common set of facts, reality, and all of that is just, it makes wisdom a scarce resource. Um, but it also means it's more important than ever that we figure out how do we cultivate wisdom? Because mm -hmm. if we can't figure that out, then we're not going to survive with all these dynamics at play. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, your perspective on it, I do think is extremely well informed. Um, and you do give quite a prescription in the book um, for how we can not necessarily just overcome that, but really change our perspective on it. And, I, and I'm excited to hear more. But first, um, I do want to talk specifically about this pyramid. And as soon as somebody hears you talk about it, or even looks at the cover of the book, they're going to realize that you're sort of giving a play on the food pyramid, yep. um, kind of the days of old. I don't even know if the food pyramid is a thing anymore. But nah. yeah, <laughs> but but the wisdom <laughs> pyramid is is uh, is certainly needs to become quite as uh, ubiquitous as the, the food pyramid, because because <laughs> in it, uh, for listeners who just you know want to visualize it, you you there at the bottom have the Bible, um, mm -hmm. and and suggesting that these various things, these various levels, um, the Bible should be the foundation. The Bible should be where we get most of our wisdom, where we spend most of our our time. Above that, the church. Um, above that, nature. 
and then books, uh, beauty, and then right there at the top, which I think on the old food pyramid was where sugar and fats were, um, is the internet, social media. And I kind of group in new media too, because I I think even what you suggest in this book is going to outlive what you and I think social media is. I do think Mm -hmm. in 10, 15 years, who knows what social media is going to look like. Um, And so uh, I kind of want to just get some of your thoughts on these various levels. And I'm going to start with the uh, the one that might I think if, if we're all being honest, if we just look at our lives and say, yeah, I know what Brett's saying, the prescription should be. But the syndrome is that for most people, the Internet and social media is actually at the bottom of their pyramid. Right. Most yep. people are spending more and more time than even they realize uh, on the Internet, on social media. Uh, communicating in somewhat like trivial ways. Um, But what's interesting to me, like when I looked at the pyramid and then I thought about, you know, the old days with the food pyramid thinking, um, and and I want to clarify the potential hypocrisy in this question that you and I are talking about this on a podcast. Right. And as soon as as we're done with this interview, I'm going to post on Instagram a picture, you know, so all that to say um, social media, internet, and all these things like, sugar and fats is, is, are you in your mind suggesting that, you know, we can get by without this nowadays? I mean, is that kind of what you're saying? Um, or for the listener who hasn't read the book, is it, is it moderation you're suggesting? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of what is the initial yeah. suggestion in regards yeah. to how should we relate to social media? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it there, so there's, there's some parallels with the like fats, oils and sweets category of the food pyramid. Um, in the sense that I do think the internet is addictive. I do think that there's a lot of kind of junk food information, so to speak. Uh, we, we kind of uh, can gorge ourselves on the buffet of social media mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of it is just unhealthy. It's not nutritious. And so we will get sick yeah. in the same way that yeah. if you gorge on the dessert category of the food pyramid, you'll get sick. Um, but the parallels aren't hundred percent there with food pyramid, because I would say, uh, unlike the fats, oils, and sweets category of the food pyramid, there are good things on the internet. Like there are nutritious things to be found. So yeah. it's not all junk food, right? right. Um, so that's why one of the big things I talk about in the book, in the chapter on the internet is like intentionality is crucial. Like, um, kind of going online with a plan with, with kind of, a a, a, a a mindset to find the nutritious things rather than just passively going online where almost assuredly you will stumble upon something not nutritious, right? The the algorithms will lure you to the buffet to to take a bite out of something (laughs) that's not super nutritious. So that's why going with a plan is important and stay, stay online only as long as you need to don't Mm -hmm. just kind of open your phone when you have five minutes to spare and just, you know, as we so often do, right. We just, when we're in line for coffee and we have five minutes to kill, what do we do? We pull out our phone and we start scrolling. And that's where I think it can become really unhealthy and damaging mm-hmm. because that's when you're just at the mercy of the algorithms. Like what, what do they want you to click on right now? What do they want you to see? So intentionality is huge, but, but yeah, I do think that um, what I want people to, to get when they see the graphic and they see the internet in the dessert category Mm -hmm. is just to feel that gut check like oh man like we have kind of flipped it (laughs) if we're honest we have we do make the internet the foundation of our diet and that that i think is why we are so 
mentally and spiritually sick in today's world because our diet is so imbalanced. So it's not to say that it shouldn't have a place in our diet. It's not to say that there are nutritious things to be found. It just has to be in its proper place. It has to be done with intention and and we have to do it with a recognition that there's a lot of hazards. There's a lot of poison, toxic things to be found. And so you just kind of use it with discretion and use it sparingly. Yeah. Um, So I think it's all the more important than like for that suggestion prescription to come from you as opposed to, um, you know, I'm sure you and I both know of well-known Christian teachers and writers who like never are on social media. Never. Okay. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, because like, I know that like you love movies. I think on your um, your about page on your website, it says like you love Terrence Malick movies and like all these things like so then for you personally, uh, mm-hmm. this this has to be a difficult prescription then because um, you on one hand are saying, hey, I, you know, today I posted today on social media about an article I wrote about a Disney movie and yeah. I love spending. So how has it been a personal journey for you then to begin in, <laughs> yeah. and you know, maybe this might be somewhat convicting for you because I know that oftentimes I'm the worst at following my own advice, but um, you know, has that been a difficult journey for you yeah. then being somebody who loves to speak yeah. to pop culture? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, I wrote this book, first and foremost for myself as as kind of a a realization that like for my own health, for my own wisdom in this, in the world that I live in. I mean, I'm a digital editor. I work for a website. Like I spend my life on the internet Mm -hmm. by virtue of what I do. And so I think because of that, I'm more aware. And as the years go on of me kind of working in this space and and being a cultural critic and having to watch a lot of movies and TV. And like, the more I do it, the more I realize like, man, if I'm not super careful, if I'm not super kind of um, intentional and mindful of having a properly ordered diet, um, then I'm just going to get sucked into this world in a really unhealthy way. And it's going to, have negative impacts on my soul. And I've seen it, right? I've seen the beginnings of that um, in my own life. And so I think that's what led me to write this book, honestly, for myself, um, for my kids. I'm a dad now. And um, I just, I I worry about the world that they're going to grow up in and how easy it is to kind of colonize your mind with digital content Mm -hmm. and, and leave no space for just kind of being still and, yeah. and being alone with your thoughts, which is so mm-hmm. essential for wisdom, yeah. right? Silence and rest and um, being unplugged. I just mm-hmm. got, I just came back from vacation with my family in Yellowstone and the Grand Teton National mm-hmm. Park. And we were unplugged. We didn't, we weren't on social media for like two weeks and um, we were just in nature and uh, man, it was so good for my soul. It, there's something about that space, that kind of open space that allows you to like have better thoughts and to think well, and to, um, to kind of quiet your brain enough to, um, to, to, to let your brain heal a little bit because our, in the digital age, our brains are overtaxed. There's actually science that's showing how our brains are, um, losing their functionality, 
to be able to think critically because they're spending all their pennies on uh, triage. Um, anyway, I'm yeah. meandering a little bit. No, no, yeah. I, you're, I, I think wrote you're the right book on. for me is the short answer. <laughs> I wrote the book for me. Well, you yeah. wrote it for me too, because I was horribly convicted because, you know, um, as a writer, as a teacher, podcaster, and I'm on social media yeah. and I started thinking, and, you know, am I creating content that is worth consuming or yeah. are we just pr- pr- producing for engagement, you know, for the easy, like for the easy share. Um, and I'm sure for you as a writer and an editor, then that had to have been um, somewhat transformative for yourself as well too, in that regard. Yeah. Well, one of the things I, I say when people ask me about like, how do you use the internet? Well, like, like, mm-hmm. you know, what, if it's true that we can't go back, right. We can't put the genie back in the bottle with the internet. It's kind of here to stay. Um, Then how do we use it in a way that's beneficial for wisdom? And one thing that I say is, and this is something that I try to do in what I put out there on the internet and what the gospel coalition, I think Mm -hmm. is ultimately trying to do is point people to the lower categories on the wisdom pyramid. Like if you use the internet category Mm -hmm. to actually just, kind of point people to send them to the Bible level of the pyramid, to the church level, mm-hmm. to nature, to beauty, to books. I mean, half of what we write about at the gospel coalition is like book reviews. Yeah. So we're, we're trying to send people offline, go yeah. off your phone and go read this actual book because it's, it's super good. Yeah. Um, even with what I write about with movie reviews and like, you know, engaging with pop culture, a lot of what that is, is trying to get people to, appreciate beauty and yeah. to, to, to appreciate what the arts can do yeah. for yeah. wisdom. And of course, a ton of what the gospel coalition writes about is, you know, biblical resources to help people understand the Bible. So yeah. that's pointing people down to the base of the wisdom pyramid. Okay. Yeah. So I would say if that's how you are using the new media, if that's how you are using this podcast, which it seems like you are, then that's <laughs> a wonderful use of yeah. it, right? Like it's not an end to itself as much as it's kind of a channel to kind of point people to uh, more nourishing sources yeah. of wisdom. Well, I, you certainly clear my conscience then. Um, <laughs> so, well, and you mentioned beauty and, you know, that's a word that I think we all probably have various definitions of and at least connotations in our mind where we go. Um, but in the book, you regard beauty as um, I mean, a source, like a place that we should be turning to and you, um, you say wisdom is not just facts, but feelings and emotions. And I think that's, oh man, like if there's a time for that statement mm-hmm. to take hold in the church, um, it, it's now because I think so often Christian leaders are trying to steer us away from our feelings and emotions instead of yeah. teaching us um, how to biblically handle our feelings and emotions. And one of the first sections of the book is you discussing the relationship between the head and the heart or the first sections of this, of the chapter on beauty, sure. I should say yeah. um, in your opinion for the Christian, then like how are the mind and the heart, tied together because I think many Christians who've grown up in the world that you and I've grown up in mm-hmm. probably have more of a dichotomy between the head and the heart than they realize. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great question. And I think it's, um, I think it speaks to just God's creational design, you know, at, 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 in the beginning when he created humans, like he didn't just create us to be brains on sticks, mm-hmm. right. He created us to be full bodied creatures with, 
emotion and with senses, right? And so beauty is important because it doesn't function just on the cerebral level. Like it communicates truth in a way that kind of first makes its impact on the affective level, mm-hmm. on the level of emotion and your heart and, um, you know, what you can taste and, and touch and yeah. see with your senses. Um, and so that, that would be all well and good um, as an idea. Um, but it's also something that the Bible itself models, right? The, yeah. the way that God himself chooses to communicate through his special revelation of scripture is beauty. Like mm-hmm. it isn't, the Bible isn't just a list of 20,000 bullet points, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it's a story. There's characters, there's heroes, there's villains, there's tension, there's poetry, right? Much of the old Testament wisdom yeah. literature is poetry. Um, Jesus himself, when he's telling stories you know he's telling stories he's telling parables with metaphor and um symbolism and so it's if you know god himself chooses to work on the level of beauty and emotion um you know then that should speak tell us something as as evangelicals like we can't just be thinking about facts and like um you know doctrine that's important Um, we have to think about how is this beautiful and how can we how can we live and experience God's truth and his world um, in, in, in a sensory way as well. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's why beauty is so valuable, I think for, for us in our lives. Yeah. And it's, it's so encouraging to, for, for that to come once again from you, not just as somebody who's in that world of pop culture, but then also somebody who writes and works with the gospel coalition, which for a lot of people, myself included um, is one of kind of like the, intellectual and academic seats of kind of like where we might go for resources. And I think the fact that the gospel coalition is also simultaneously saying Mm -hmm. pause, Mm -hmm. appreciate beauty um, is, is, is pointing towards that holistic redemption of a God who like, you know, he created us with all these things. Um, And, you know, in the book uh, talking about beauty, and I think this is tied to that section on nature as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the two certainly go hand in hand. You said beauty silences us and you, you mm-hmm. kind of paint a picture of like being at an, in a museum or mm-hmm. um, a movie where it ends and the crowd just doesn't know what to say. And you said yeah. beauty renders us mute. That mm-hmm. section made me think about Dallas Willard. Um, and he he's written so often on like returning to solitude, returning to silence and so many Christians um, who've had a huge impact on the way we think also had a habit of finding themselves in silence and reflection. And I think we've lost that to a certain degree. And from, from the book, I can tell you think that too, how can we return to that in this a hundred mile an hour world? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think the more that I live, the more that I see how essential silence and rest are for wisdom and for flourishing, right? Like God knew what he was doing when he made humans to need rest, right. Mm -hmm. To need to be off. Yeah. Like he could have created us to be always on, right. That, that, that was an option for him to create these beings who never had to sleep and could could be productive, you know, 24 seven, but he didn't. And, and why, you know, it's important to think about like the rationale, why would God create humans to need to, to rest, to physically need to sleep uh, in order to live? 
And I think part of it is just the, uh, it, it reminds us of our limitations. I think if, if original sin, if kind of Eve and Adam, if their original sin had a lot to do with wanting to be God, to wanting to, to want to be like God, to be able to kind of have all the knowledge and power that he had, that's always the root of sin. It's our, our desire to kind of con- conceive of ourselves as God-like. But um, our limitations as, as humans, sleep being a big one, and, and our physical limitations remind us that we aren't God and we can't, we aren't omnipresent, we aren't omniscient, <laughs> we aren't omnipotent. And that's a good thing, right? It's, it is wisdom to be reminded that you are the creature and God is the creator. It is wisdom to be reminded that you are in your rightful place and God is who he is, right? Um, and so the more that we can be reminded of that through rest and stillness and not feeling like we always have to be on, uh, the more the wiser we'll become, right? Mm. Be still and know that he is God. Um, mm. It doesn't, the verse doesn't say, be a busybody, you know, mm-hmm. scrolling your phone constantly and being productive yeah. and, and optimizing every second of your day and, and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is God. So yeah. I think that, and, and the reason why this is so important and why I, I think that this point just needs to be, rem- we need to remind ourselves constantly is because in today's digital age, it, it's becoming easier and easier to fill every single open moment in your life with content, whether it's pulling out your phone in the five minutes that you're waiting for your coffee at Starbucks or watching a, a show on Netflix when you have 30 minutes to spare or listening to a podcast, no offense to podcasters, yeah. <laughs> but listening to a podcast every time you get in your car to go mm-hmm. from point A to point B, like as much as there are, there are great podcasts out there and there's, there's like 50 of them that are on my <laughs> to yeah. listen list right now. I've had to like make the decision in my life to, to not listen to podcasts in the car, because if I don't do that, then there's literally no space in my life where I can just be silent and still with my own thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the car has become that place that I protect um, to, to be still and, and to kind of let my mind just process, just like mm-hmm. actually have kind of the chance to synthesize and, to take all these inputs that have come in over the course of the day and to turn them into something nutritious, right? Mm. Just like eating food. Like if you, if you eat a lot of food, but you don't let your body have the time it, it needs to kind of process it and you just like instantly go back for more, it's not going to end well. Right. <laughs> um, so the yeah. same is true of wisdom. Like our, our souls need space to kind of uh, let things percolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order for us to be wise and, yeah. and space is increasingly a, a, a hard commodity to find mm-hmm. in our kind of digitally um, over glutted world that we live yeah. in. Uh, so along with that, and I, I don't mind if, if somebody listening decides to not listen in their car, I think that's <laughs> probably the, the right decision, even <laughs> at the cost of some listens, but, um, yeah. but you know, you and I have discussed quite a bit about the frenetic pacing of our world. Um, but when we talk about silence and the lack thereof in our culture, um, and in many cultures, I mean, if you try, you don't have to be in the United States or right, be no. participating in American evangelicalism to feel as if there's no time for silence. But do you feel though that we are also avoiding silence 
and stillness because we're afraid of of those thoughts and what God might say to us and and other things, you know, I mean, is that, was that in your mind at all when you were working through this? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it's fallen nature to, um, to want to avoid stillness and silence for a number of reasons. One, because our fallen nature leads us to um, a works-based kind of salvation where we we think like we have to be doing, 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 doing all the time in order to prove ourselves worthy. Um, but also I think, uh, we're resistant to silence because yeah, we're afraid of, of the things that we have to confront, um, when, when we're, when we're slow enough to actually be able to think about them, um, things like death, things like, um, sin, things like whatever, right. There's, there's a lot of, uh, thorny kind of existential ideas that, um, you know, we, we, we need to think about, but humans, uh, for forever have wanted to fill their lives with distractions of every sort. So as to avoid, um, thinking about the difficult things, but but that's where wisdom is, is found is, is actually having the the courage to, to empty your life enough to have, um, Mm -hmm. uh, a thought or two about those difficult things. <laughs> yeah. Something being formed. It's, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a, a thing, you know, <laughs> um, um, in, in right there in the, the second or third, it's actually the fourth level of the the pyramid. What I, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, even before I knew that you had spent so much time in the Wade center and mm-hmm. a CS Lewis fan, um, you talk about books and, and you mentioned even, especially those books that have stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we live, we live now in a, in a world where not only are books in, you know, I can download apps that will summarize a book for me. I can, yeah. um, read the cliff notes. And then even on top of that, we, we kind of live in a world now that says, Hey, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to, to read books to be smart or intelligent. Um, which is cer- certainly true. Um, but, it seems like that's like you're suggesting a greater principle in regards to like the place books specifically should have in the life of somebody seeking wisdom and specifically the life of a Christian, because we should all be seeking wisdom. So how might the practice of reading actually help us grow in our wisdom in your mind? Yeah. I mean, I think it connects with what we were talking about a little bit ago about just slowing down in Mm -hmm. a frenetic pace. Uh, The act of reading a book is kind of a necessarily slower intellectual habit than like scrolling through Twitter or like, you know, skim reading an article on your phone to read a book and to kind of sit down with it and, and, and work your way through a book sometimes over a matter of like weeks or months, even it's an exercise in, in, in um, slower paced thinking and, and being, being quick to listen, right. And slow to speak. It's like reading a book is kind of putting that, wisdom of James into practice. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's also, I think a habit that cultivates empathy and the ability to walk in someone else's shoes for an extended period of time. Like when you're reading a book, you're giving your attention, you're going to giving the microphone, you're giving the floor to someone else Mm -hmm. for an extended period of time for weeks, for months, however long it takes you to read their book. And it's like, it's a one-way thing in a sense that like, you don't, you're not able to like jump in with your opinion. Um, They're speaking to you and you're listening. You're, you're letting yourself be Mm -hmm. um, influenced by their perspective. And that's not to say that we can't be active readers 
in, in the sense of like writing in the margins of a book, like underlining it and saying yes, or, you know, underlining it and saying no exclamation yeah. mark. I do that a lot. Like in any given book that I read, I will like star something and be like, yes, he's right about that. But then I'll like literally say no in the margins. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> and I think that that's, so that's kind of, you said bigger principles. And mm -hmm. I think that the, the books chapter um, or the books category of the wisdom pyramid isn't just about books. Right. It's, it's really about education. It's mm -hmm. the idea of like learning and growing as, as, as lifetime learners and a, a huge essential principle when it comes to education. Uh, and I, I talk about this in the book is the ability to like encounter an idea mm -hmm. and to kind of entertain it and to like, to give it uh, a good faith, um, yeah. uh, you know, assessment, but not necessarily to agree with it or mm -hmm. all of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is education. Education is the ability to entertain ideas without assenting to them. It's the ability to read any given book, watch any given film, uh, you know, listen to any given lecture and agree with part of it and, and nod along to some of it while at the same time being able to point to something and say, I don't know about that. Like, I'm not so sure about what he's arguing there. And I think we're losing that ability. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it feels like in all of our conversations, it's kind of this all or nothing yeah. mentality where like everything in that book, I agree with, or like nothing in that book is helpful. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that's like true to life. Like most of life, is a mixed bag, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're fallen creatures and every thinker, every author, every cultural producer is a fallen person. It, you know, what they produce is going to be mixed with maybe some good, some true, yeah. some beautiful, but also some bad and some false and some ugly. And that's true even of myself, right? Mm -hmm. I, I give people permission to read the wisdom pyramid or anything that I write and like agree with some of it, but then point to some parts of it that you aren't quite so sure about. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I'm encouraging in the books chapter yeah. is in order to be wise, we need to cultivate this ability to, to think and read critically in a nuanced way where we can take what's helpful, discard what's unhelpful mm -hmm. and, and grow as a result of that process. Yeah. yeah. And when I, when I hear you talk about the books chapter when I, when I was reading it, I also pictured um, that stage in your life when you really truly learn to have conversation with somebody and listen to somebody. Um, and you just hit on that perfectly. I also think right there with the, the all or nothing is I think one of the truest marks of wisdom, especially in the, in the Christian is whether or not you straw man people, um, right. you know, and, and like you kind of just said that is like, do you actually listen and engage with somebody's argument or do you just say, yeah. no, I, I, I disagree with one small part of it. So therefore it's all, yeah. it's all wrong. Um, do you think that uh, right there with, you know, reading books, cause yeah, reading a, a CS Lewis book is essentially entering into a conversation with CS Lewis. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that to a certain degree, we've lost the ability to converse with one another because of just the inverted pyramid that we're living in? Yeah, for sure. And the, the more that we live our, our pyramids upside down, the more that like the social media kind of um, habits are, are the way we're living our lives. Mm -hmm. I think the less and less able we're, we're going to be to have yeah. fruitful intellectual conversations because 
the way social media works is just, it doesn't, um, it doesn't foster that kind of nuanced, complex thinking Mm -hmm. where, where you can kind of identify like, this is true. This is not so true. And let's kind of tease out, you know, the differences. Um, so yeah, I I think we are losing that art and that's, that's precisely why I think wisdom is what we need, right? Like Mm -hmm. wisdom is that kind of capacity to be able to converse and to learn and to Mm -hmm. discern and and do all these things in, in ways that um, are helpful. And uh, so it's not just a matter of knowledge or just kind of finding um, the best access to information. It's about cultivating wisdom so that we can, Mm -hmm. yeah, just better flourish in this chaotic um, information world that we live in. Yeah. The bottom layer of the pyramid being mm-hmm. of course scripture yeah. um as opposed to asking you like hey what does your quiet time look like or anything like that what i really want to hear from you is right, there's um, a car out my door right now I, it'll be i think we'll get it i'll, I'll edit okay. it out if it gets too overwhelming but um <laughs> is uh when i when i read the book and even more so hearing you describe it um mm-hmm. and i hope listeners are picking up on this is that really what you're saying is like christians those rooted in the scriptures and in a relationship with God should be the ones who flourish the most and most easy is not necessarily the right word, but I'll, I'll use it most easily navigate this tumultuous world we're living in. Yeah. Um, so what is it about the Christian who is rooted in the scriptures and therefore their relationship with the God who wrote it that allows them to live a life of wisdom and a live a life that in a world that is completely lacking of flourishing will mm-hmm. actually demonstrate that. What about the Christian, you know, makes that possible? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the fact that we have a solid foundation to build mm-hmm. on. We, we have a, a truth, capital T truth that is beyond human arbitrary kind of subjectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you don't have that, then every pursuit of truth that you might undertake in your life, whether you're a scientist or an artist or whatever, like you might stumble upon something true or good or beautiful, but you'll have no uh, rubric through which to definitively recognize it as such. Um, You'll have no kind of ultimate telos, no end to which, you know, this work, this pursuit is actually moving toward Mm -hmm. so everything in life i think depends on having like a purpose what is it going towards a a um a foundation outside of itself with which you know it can be kind of evaluated Uh, and that's what christianity has we we have you know the bible as the foundation of the wisdom pyramid it's it's amazing because it lets every subsequent category Mm -hmm be the fullest source of wisdom it can be for us because it's tethered to the Bible. It's kind of held in its proper place through that, um, that connection to absolute truth in the Bible. So to use one example, like the beauty chapter, um, the beauty category of wisdom uh, you mentioned like beauty, it's so subjective, like, and it's true, like Mm -hmm. beauty as an idea in our culture is very squishy. It's like Mm -hmm. beauty is, just in the eye of the beholder and necessarily so, right? If, if you don't have any sort of ultimate foundation of capital B beauty, then it is just a totally subjective thing. And that, that's why the art world today, the contemporary art world 
in a, in a post-Christian kind of secular culture, mm-hmm. it's just a mess because there's no, mm-hmm. there's no rubric to evaluate what is beauty, you know, mm-hmm. but, but if, if you're a Christian, you have beauty that's tethered to God's word and there's an objective kind of transcendent source of beauty in God that we can look to, then we have something to go on. We, mm-hmm. we have a foundation to, to build a true kind of um, doctrine of beauty or theology of beauty upon. And uh, so that's, mm-hmm. for me, that's so liberating as mm-hmm. someone who cares about the arts and cares about culture and beauty um, as a Christian um, I, I feel like the Bible frees me up to know kind of where I can go and where I can't go and what yeah. is beautiful and what is definitively not beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say it's always very clear. It's sometimes it's a complicated process that we have to kind of hash out together in community. But, um, but I think it just, that foundation of scripture just gives us something to build on. It gives us something to have a constructive project upon. Yeah. 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 Well, bef- before I, before I let you go, I, I have to tell you this, and then I'm going to ask you a, a pretty big question and I apologize ahead of time. Um, but I was almost startled reading the book at the mention of the COVID-19 pandemic, because I think it was like, I think this is the first book I've read where it was new enough to where it addressed COVID-19. And I think it might've been in the introduction of the preface. It wasn't interwoven throughout the entire book, but um if there was a time that this wisdom pyramid idea <laughs> is needed, it's mm-hmm. in this post COVID world that we're Lord willing entering. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was reading, I almost felt bad for you because I was like, Oh man, this guy had to have been frustrated at the church, at least the, the American evangelical church, hearing your thoughts on what wisdom looked like and how it, you know, bear, bore fruit in the Christian's life. And then knowing you and I both know just, there were so many, so many shortcomings in the life of a lot of Christian leaders in the midst of how we navigated and in it. And I'll go ahead and give us all grace in the sense that none of us knew what we were doing. But um, so without, without giving into the, the, the temptation to beat up on the bride of Christ by any means, what would you have liked to have seen differently in light of the ideas that you're putting forth in this book from Christians and Christian leaders, as we, you know, tried to navigate this past year of COVID-19, knowing that we're going to continue to face challenges like it in the future. And you're giving a really great prescription in this book of, Hey, you know, we could have handled this differently. Let's do this different next time. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I actually wrote most of the book before the pandemic. So it was basically like, it was, to the publisher, it was in the hands of Crossway, I think at the end of 2019. Um, so any mention of COVID, and I think I, I only mentioned it like a couple times in the book, was added yeah. um, in, in kind of the later uh, editorial process. But the book really does, I think, speak to the type of foolishness that COVID really um, revealed in our digital age and that hopefully this book is helping us um, avoid. And it's, it's, it's what I said earlier about the foolishness of kind of the information age and how it's, there's too much information, right? COVID made us crazy in part because there was like no shortage of information about the pandemic, but it was 
it was on every end of the spectrum. And you could find a study that said this about COVID and you mm-hmm. can find a study that said the opposite about COVID. And, you know, everyone could just Google whatever they wanted to find. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's a, that's a problem of the too much information. And then the too fast problem of information, you know, we saw that on full display with yeah. COVID where, you know, people like read an article about neck gaiters are somehow worse than wearing no mask. And, and that, that went viral yeah. and, and the, you know, soon the neck gator industry was out of business only to find out later that this, the initial study that s- seemed to suggest that neck gaiters were bad was not actually suggesting that at all. So yeah, <laughs> there's numerous examples of how COVID just, it showed how, how um, problematic our information environment can be mm-hmm. um, if we don't kind of respond to it with wisdom. And if mm-hmm. we don't kind of pull back from the digital chaos and just root ourselves in the more transcendent sources of wisdom, um, yeah. like, like scripture and in the church. So that, that would be one thing I would say, like it, it was sad to see so many Christians um, distance themselves from the church during COVID. And yeah. I get, I get it. It was not fun to watch your church on a live stream, you know? Um, but the fact that a third of all church going Christians stopped going to church during the pandemic in any form is just heartbreaking. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of like at the very time in history when we need Christian community to, to help form us um, rather than being formed by Twitter or some social media community, which is what happened with a lot of Christians, like a lot of Christians during COVID, honestly, they, they let their spiritual formation happen more online with whatever echo chamber, with whatever conspiracy community they were a part yeah, of. Yeah. That was where they were being formed and they weren't being formed by real Christian community. And so mm-hmm. that's in part why so much foolishness came out this year. So any, the next time a crisis comes, I would hope that we would root ourselves in things like scripture and the church and nature and, and, and not just go straight to the internet and Google and mm-hmm. whatever, because that's just going to make us more foolish. And yeah. yeah. Well, well, we're at, uh, I think that in, at least in regards to COVID-19 and so much of the difficulties that the American church and just Americans in general, which the book is not speaking only to Americans, but, um, you know, we're going to be doing diagnostics on this for quite a few years and just trying yeah. to figure out, Hey, what happened? What could we have done better? And yeah. I do think that your book and, and a lot of your work, um, even the stuff that seems to not be making quite the grandiose statements that wisdom pyramid is making. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that it's going to be a big part of the prescription. And so I'm so appreciative if, if mm-hmm. of you and just everything you're doing, um, for listeners, go pick the book up like today. I, you can go check out the, the link in the show notes. Um, please get your hands on it and, and read it and just just rest and meditate on what Brett's saying. But Brett, thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom mm-hmm. um, and uh, your heart for just reaching people who I think the church for a long time has to a certain degree ignored. I think you're doing a great thing, man. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I enjoyed it. 